Welcome to the Eskenazi Health Here For You podcast, where we go beyond the doctor's office and take a closer look at the programs that Eskenazi Health has to offer our patients in the communities we serve. My name is Brian Van Bocklin with the public affairs team here at Eskenazi Health. And on today's episode, we're discussing, uh, it's a heavy topic today, but we're discussing the important program that Eskenazi Health offers pa- pregnant patients with opioid and other substance abuse disorders. It's the Eskenazi Health Circle of Recovery for Families. And today we have uh, Dr. Sarah Grotman, the medical director of the Circle of Recovery for Families and the chief physician executive of Eskenazi Health Primary Care to talk about the importance of the program and how it began and how patients and families are benefiting from it. And when you sat down, we talked about, just call me Dr. Sarah. Now, after, after I got through that, I said, yeah, Dr. Sarah. <laughs> so so welcome, welcome to the podcast. Before we jump into the topic, uh, fill, I guess, fill in the holes of what I just said, a little bit more about yourself, how long you've been with Eskenazi and your role here, please. Yes. Uh, so thanks for inviting me today. I'm really happy to be here and talk about our program. Um, I am a family physician. I've been a doc for a little over 20 years, and I did my undergraduate at Stanford, then went to Oregon Health Sciences uh, for my medical degree, and then uh, on to University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. So I did a um, family medicine residency and then followed by a maternal and child health fellowship. So that's a little bit more intensive um, training in the care of pregnant patients and postpartum patients and also younger infants, newborns, and, and uh, early childhood. And then um, during my training, I really uh, enjoyed taking care of women and knew that was going to be a major part of what I did. And as time went on and um, kind of dovetailing with the opioid epidemic in um, the U.S., I became more interested in um, caring for patients who are affected by substance use disorders. So um, then while I was actually in practice, I did a, 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 um, a board certification process in addictions medicine. So that's kind of my package of things mm-hmm. that I'm interested in. I really love taking care of the whole family. I love the, um, the continuity of care of family medicine. But I really like that specific area of substance use disorder as well and helping patients and families get into recovery. And I like the um, the family medicine approach, which really encompasses the care of the whole family. So that's kind of what attracted me to this area of medicine. So tell us about the uh, a bit more about the circle of recovery for families. Like, What is the program seek to do? How do you engage with your patients? Uh, more about that. So the idea is really that when patients are pregnant and have a substance use disorder, and in particular, most of our patients will have an opioid use disorder, but sometimes some other substances as well. They need a point of entry into the system if they're not already in recovery, or sometimes they're in recovery, but they need some specialized care in pregnancy. So our aim is really to create a sort of wraparound, multidisciplinary approach to care of patients. And ideally, patients would either come to us um, uh, needing to get on uh, medication to help them uh, abstain from other opioids. And so they might meet us either in the clinic, they might hear about us from another provider or social worker or um, a person in the community, and then they would come and see us either uh, for a consultation um, and then be admitted, or they might actually just present directly to OB triage, which is like our emergency room for pregnant patients, and saying that they need some help with getting off of other opioids. So w- they would be admitted, and then we would help them um, talk about what kind of medication might be helpful for them um, to, uh, to aid in avoiding other opioids that are non-prescribed. So would you say would would you say this is a uh, a, a rehab service or is this more focused on making sure everyone survives 
the pregnancy and comes out, and then we can talk about getting you into rehab after that? Or or is it all kind of one and the same? I yeah, guess. it's really more of a comprehensive program. So to provide the best care to a patient, um, whether pregnant or not pregnant, who has opioid use disorder, um, that would typically involve a medication to help them uh, avoid using other medications and not have cravings and not have withdrawal. So those main two medications are buprenorphine, which people know as Suboxone or mm-hmm. Subutex, and then methadone. And those are both acceptable in pregnancy. And so the first order of business is really to provide that life-saving um, treatment with that medication. So we know that patients who are actively using non-prescribed opioids have a risk for lots of serious health outcomes, including an up to overdose death. So really, the way we're thinking about things is really a hierarchy of the most important things first. And so getting patients stable on a medication that will help them not have withdrawal and cravings and not have other use, and then providing all their um, uh, needs for their pregnancy, so their prenatal care, their um, ultrasounds, their laboratory studies that would normally be done during pregnancy, all those regular checkup type of things that we do when patients come into the office, and then preparing for delivery, um, preparing for postpartum um, contraceptive planning. And then talking about how we're going to take care of babies after delivery as well, the special things that we do for them. And then really, there's no endpoint to the program. So the idea is that it really provides a continuity experience for the patient where they get to know a small group of us that are involved in their care. They don't have to plan for transition after delivery. They just stay right where they are with us. We keep uh, prescribing their Suboxone or um, keep in communication with their methadone program. We do their postpartum checkups. We take care of their baby. We do baby checkups and vaccines and all those normal well checks. So there really isn't an endpoint, which I think is a really important part of the program. And then the other part of it that's important is that um, we use a multidisciplinary approach, which really means that we're incorporating lots and lots of people um, in the care of the patient or lots of resources. But the idea is that it be a consistent group of people so they're not needing to meet a lot of new people, which can be kind of stressful for folks. So we have myself as the provider Um, We have a nurse who helps us. We have a couple of medical assistants who um, are very knowledgeable and help me in clinic and and answer um, questions and calls from patients. We have a social worker. We have a community health worker. We have a substance use disorder therapist. So the idea is to co-locate as many of those services in one place to make it really convenient for the patient and also just less stressful for them. And I know it's tough to speak in uh, general senses when you're talking about addiction and individuals and that, but... What state are are the patients when they come to you in? Because I, I can only imagine your just how vicious addiction is, and you're dealing with personal demons, and then maybe you're, you're trying to then you're pregnant on top of that, and maybe like I don't know if this is a, the the emotional sense of almost feeling like you're a failure because you're addicted and you're you're falling and you've got this baby coming. So how, how would how how would you describe you know I I, I can't. I, I guess average patient that comes. I don't know a better way to say that, but yeah. So I think you know patients are all individuals, and they all have their personal experience mm-hmm. with um, with opioid dependence. And so people are um, are anywhere along that conti- uh, continuum of recovery. So some patients um, are very stable in recovery, have been on medication, and this is a planned and um, a pregnancy that they're very excited about, or maybe a surprise pregnancy, but. Um, really already the other things in their lives are very stable. But as you kind of alluded to, some patients really come in and this is the first moment that they've had to really think about what it would be like to be in recovery. Or maybe they've tried lots and lots Mm -hmm. of times to get in recovery and have had difficulties with that. So um, there is a lot of societal stigma about opioid dependence in general and substance use disorder in general. And then you probably would have to imagine it being 
sort of multiplied by a thousand or or a million mm-hmm. when it's a pregnant patient, right? There, we, we all take um, the opportunity to make lots of judgments about pregnant patients, about anything they do, how much weight they gain or how little weight they gain or whether they're smoking or what they're eating and what they're snacking on and how much <laughs> exercise they're getting, right? So we can only imagine how that, um, how the knowledge of, um, of a patient having opioid use disorder can really bring out um, stigma for them. And unfortunately, it's not just society and it's not just family members and it's not just partners, but it's us too as medical providers and other um, healthcare professionals. So that's an ongoing process yeah. that we have of educating. But patients do come in with those um, feelings of um, you know low self-worth and things. And those are um, are things we can work on together. So I think the most important thing that I communicate to the patient is that um, we care about them as an individual. They absolutely can be successful in recovery. We have lots and lots of patients who have um, gotten healthy and had healthy pregnancies and healthy babies, and their babies are developing and smart kids and doing great in school and all those things. And and families with much lower stress levels, you know, after um, having uh, received the services mm-hmm. that they need. So that's my main approach: is just to say we care about you as an individual. We want you to be successful. We have lots of resources that we want to put into that, and we want to hear what works for you too. Because people have lots of experiences, and they know they've tried this, they've tried that. This wasn't a good fit for them. They, you know, um, they can give us some some inf- some really valuable information about what their prior experiences have been. So, um, and, and obviously the opioid epidemic, not only in the country and the state, all it's been going on. Are we are we almost up to a decade now that it's been declared? We're coming up on that. Yeah, we're probably past that point. Really, a lot of it is a, a question of definition. Mm-hmm. When do you think it really began? But certainly, um, it it it, um, it has become over overwhelming uh, in recent years and really during the pandemic. Unfortunately, we've not looked better. We've looked worse in terms of overdose deaths and and the impact on the access to care has been yeah. really profound during the p- pandemic as well. Yeah, that was going to be my next question with when the pandemic in, I, as you can tell by our sweatshirts, uh, we do some work for Indianapolis EMS and I see it's the daily Narcan report and all it is a number of doses that are given. Um, and so you could see the over the years and we track it month to month. So you can see that increase. And it's almost like uh, so you, and, and even the protocols have been for the providers to not give as much, like let the dose happen before you pump the second one in, you know, just scale it back. Not to say that we're letting people go or anything like that, but it's almost like the opioid epidemic when COVID hits that I'll show you an epidemic. Like we are lapping what, so what's the status right now? Like who, who is coming through your doors? I wish we could say like in a perfect world, we don't need programs like this and we hope that they end, but obviously they aren't. Where are we at right now after three years of COVID that have just this just decimated probably almost everything? So, yeah, where, where are we at on that? Yeah, so I, I think it's it's twofold, right? It's um, one we've sort of like acknowledged the problem, and there's a lot more um, resources that are being directed this way, right? Like federal monies and grants and things like that. And so that's a good thing, right? It's brought the attention on it, and we are able to sort of marshal resources in that direction. It's also forced us to be a little bit more creative. Like nobody was doing telehealth for substance use disorder before the pandemic. And now we can do those, you know, intakes over video. We can um, get histories and talk to people and understand what their needs are and really facilitate a lot of care in that way. Of course, we need to see patients in person for laboratory studies and things like that. And some patients will just always prefer to have face-to-face interactions. But having that as a tool is really important as well. 
And then I think where we are right now is really we have a fairly good um, understanding of the science behind um, substance use disorder, and we have a much better disseminated knowledge about ways to treat it and the importance of medication for that, of medications for opioid use disorder. And now it's really a matter of allocation of resources, and it's also really um, figuring out how we break past the barrier of entry into care. So that tends to be the hardest step. It's, it's hard for lots of different medical conditions. Sometimes people recognize they probably have diabetes but are afraid to come in and get the diagnosis and see what that A1C looks like and know what that's going to mean for the rest of their life. And that's true for substance use disorder as well. So our, our job really is to figure out how do we make the getting into care part a lot easier, um, take down those barriers, make it more accessible, get more healthcare providers trained, have more appointments available, all of those things that just make that first step a lot easier for patients. Because I think for most patients, once they come in, once they meet their provider, once they get to know the team a little bit, once they hear kind of more of what to expect and less of it is a mystery because the mystery part of it is scary to people. Mm -hmm. um, they are much, much more likely to come back for the second visit than they are to make that first appointment. So figuring out ways to make that less of a, um, a barrier for patients is really important. So some of it's just access, like how many providers do we have? How many appointments do we have? But a lot of it also is changing the perception of what it means to seek care and how will you be treated when you come in for your care. You're making this really easy with the segue on these with what you're saying. I appreciate that. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Sarah Grotman uh, here on the Eskenazi Health Here For You podcast about the uh, circle uh, of recovery for families and uh, uh pregnancy and opioids and all that. So as you mentioned, people taking that first step and making and coming in, then coming in for the second step. So I guess a person is pregnant and addicted, picks up the phone, calls, I'm pregnant and I'm addicted. Where does the process go from there? What what can they then expect after they make that first phone call? Yeah. So if they call our connections phone number, Feel free to give the connections phone number out. Their message will be <laughs> okay. sent, sent along to me. <laughs> yeah. And then I usually reach out by phone. I try to call people within like 24 to 48 hours and um, just hear a little bit more about what their needs are, um, how we can help them, um, what their prior experience has been. Um, on the flip side of that, sometimes it's 10 o'clock at night and a patient's in opioid withdrawal and they're pregnant and they feel like they need help right now. Mm -hmm. And then the thing to do is just literally come straight into OB triage. So we'll figure out how things are looking at that point, what um, what uh, medications might be helpful um, and whether or not the patient might need to be admitted. We do typically recommend admission in pregnancy for starting um, buprenorphine, which is Suboxone or Subutex. Um, for patients who are interested in methadone and are pregnant, they can actually go directly to our narcotic treatment program and do an intake there and then get started on methadone as an outpatient. So because the medications work a little bit differently, our process for starting them is slightly different. So it could either be a phone call from me just discussing what the options are, or it could be coming in face-to-face -face in triage and, and hearing about them and maybe moving forward with treatment. We can also do um, inpatient uh, uh, starts for methadone as well, um, and some patients that might work better for. Um, I do have a phone number I'd yeah, like okay, to share Okay, okay, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, so, sorry I put you on the spot on yeah. that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, let's share the phone number. So um, there is a special phone number through Connections for patients who are interested in finding out more about our program, and that number is 317-880-5950. So again, 317-880-5950. 
5950. That will uh, route the call to our connections um, switchboard and they will take information down and then send it to me as a message um, and I will reach back out to patients. We also have appointments that are available that the connections operators can book straight into. So if a patient calls, knows they need to get scheduled or would just prefer to talk about options in person versus me reaching out by phone, it's totally fine to just schedule an appointment. It's not a commitment to either join the program or to receive medication. It's, it can be just an exploratory appointment. That's fine with me. I think that's also good to note that when you call the call the phone number, which is a huge first step for somebody, just making that phone call, but then knowing that there's not going to be a runaround after that. You are going to get a return call from Dr. Sarah Gropman, who is going to say, I, I, we've got this. We, you're, you're in good hands right now. And I think it's important to, to make sure that people are, are aware of that because pregnancy or not, addiction is scary and making the decision to, to get off of it, it's hard. Um, I, I've, I've been told that opioid addiction is the hardest of all of them to get off of. I, I, I have no personal experience to know that, but I'm told that it's just nasty, nasty, scary stuff. But um, so, and I even had a question. Now I lost my train of thought because. <laughs> um, so, so I, I guess, and maybe I'll get I'll get back to it. So, families and uh, oh yes, no, I remember now. Now I remember what is so. Uh, so we have the one aspect of people calling and saying, "I need help." Is there another avenue, or do we have people who are referred? Can their uh, can their OBGYN OBGYN call and be like, "We've got a person that needs some help." And then, how does that process? If maybe if you're dealing with someone that I guess doesn't know that they need treatment, or do you have to get into that, or is that not your your thing? I, I will when they're ready to come, I will be here for them, but I am not going to force anybody in this. How does that work? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're alluding to is maybe where a healthcare provider or mm -hmm. another service provider has um, kind of picked up on some concerns, but maybe is not yeah. totally sure. Um, and so I would say that definitely I am happy to be a resource for that. I do have um, other providers, nurse practitioners, physicians who will reach out to me and say, hey, this is happening with my patient. Um, we're not quite sure what this is, or she feels like, you know, she wants to taper off on her own or, um, you know, a bunch of different potential sort of current status uh, descriptions. And then I can be a resource just either to the provider. So talking it through and kind of sharing some thoughts, or I'm also happy to see the patient just for a consultation. So um, I, I have had patients who were using non-prescribed oral opioids who were, um, you know, didn't necessarily view themselves as having an opioid use disorder, but knew that maybe things weren't quite okay with the way they were using the medications. And so I think um, the important thing is not so much what we label it, but how the, um, the experience of it is for the patient. And sometimes um, that's a good entry point just for a discussion and sort of understanding more about the meaning of it in their lives. And then I would say for many of those patients, they do then arrive at the um, feeling that this is an opioid use disorder and that they could use some help. And then the help can come in lots of different forms. So it's not that um, we have a, a cookbook approach and that everybody needs to take the same, the same route. I would say by and large, most patients will do better on medications for opioid use disorder, mm -hmm. but some patients will want to wean. And, um, and that's a conversation that we can talk about. 
Um, I don't encourage it because uh, the scientific evidence, the studies really point to a much, much lower risk of um, continued use and therefore a much lower risk of um, overdose death from using the medication. So the medications greatly increase survival. But knowing that, each person is an individual. And so I have had patients who um, had uh, sporadic use or um, purely oral use um, and uh, not necessarily daily. And for those patients, we figured out a way to support them in their desire for a complete abstinence, but but we really view those medications as the key for success for most patients. Can can I ask uh, what does a a unborn baby go through if it's coming from a, an addicted mother? I like what, what is that? What impact? Because yeah, and obviously we want it. The mother, yes, we want to get that person clean and healthy and all that. But what is the baby dealing with? If it's if it's I guess subjected to that. Yeah, so first, a little bit around language I mm-hmm. would share. So one is that addiction is really a behavioral thing, okay. right? So we can have addictions to things that are not biochemical, right? Um, to activities or food or whatever, mm-hmm. and then um, so babies can't be addicted. Um, and then the other part of it is that it's really the opioid dependence that causes the physiologic um, uh, concerns for baby, right? So and that would be true, let's say for um, let's say um, a pregnant patient who has cancer of some sort and is on methadone for pain management or is on oxycodone for pain management, and when they stop that medication, they would go through withdrawal. So the the um, the baby, the newborn of that. Um, individual would have the same needs in terms of observation for withdrawal. So that's really what we're um, focused on when babies are delivered is watching them for withdrawal because they have a tolerance for the opioid as well. Most babies whose whose pregnant parent, whose moms use an opioid, um, will not require pharmacologic meaning medication treatment for withdrawal. We watch all of the babies whose moms have been using those medications or substances for five days because we feel that pretty much covers both the short-acting and the longer-acting medications and substances. And if at the end of that five days, there is not sufficient withdrawal that requires medication, then babies are ready to go home other than if they have other medical issues going on like prematurity or hyperbilirubinemia or other reasons that we keep babies a little bit longer, but just in terms of the opioid exposure. Um, So that means a portion of those babies will need medication treatment. And the idea is really that we give them medicine to decrease the withdrawal of the baby and help them be more organized and, um, and efficient with their feeds, gain weight, sleep better and then we wean the medication off. So that can take from several days to a few weeks to wean completely off. And then after the very last um, tiny dose of medicine that we give, we watch babies for 48 hours just to make sure they're doing well and that they're appropriate for discharge home. So um, that's really talking about the the, the um the biochemical mm-hmm. aspect of it, right? And then there's all the other supports that patients need. So when um, when uh, when families are struggling with substance use disorders, sometimes they have some other struggles as well. And so that could be like economic struggles or food struggles or employment and things like that. And so we want to make sure that we've really addressed those things during the pregnancy so that um, families have a safe place to go back to afterwards. So that's 
part of our package is making sure that things are lined up to have the resources that families need to take care of their newborn. But in terms of the, the physiologic aspect of it, it's really watching for withdrawal. And we, we use a process of determining whether the withdrawal is enough that they need medications. And that takes into account how well they're feeding and how well they're sleeping and things like that. That lets us know if they mm -hmm. need medicine. But most babies don't need medicine. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I'm bouncing all over. I have this horrible habit of like asking follow-ups and then we're like, what are we even talking about anymore? Um, the data on the program since its inception, what, what sort of success have we seen with this, with this program? Uh, and then I guess, what are the plans for the future? Is there more scaling up that's going to come? All of those things. Yeah, those are great questions. So um, we have uh, had about 45 babies deliver in our program. So we're super excited about that. Um, as I described, we do welcome families to stay with the program over time. Some families have a, a provider that they were already receiving medication from or maybe somebody who was already doing their pediatric care for their older children. So we recognize that not everybody will um, stay with our program forever. And then, of course, there are some patients who just don't continue because they don't stay in recovery. So some people um, struggle and don't necessarily come back uh, following the pregnancy, following the delivery. So um, about half of our patients have remained engaged in care. And so that includes the delivering parent, the mom, and also includes um, the kids as well. And then we welcome partners into care as well. So, um, or it could be another support person. So maybe that person's most important um, support is their sister or their cousin or their best friend. And that person also needs some help with getting into recovery. So we, we really do view ourselves as a family-focused program. So if any of those people who are important in the life of that um, pregnant person and in that baby needs some assistance, we try to be available for that. Uh, you mentioned families in this, and obviously uh, recovery is very um, very much about your support system and your family, and hopefully your support system is not fee you know, causing the problem, but what are warning signs that family members need to be looking out for? How can family members be engaged in this um, and just from the start, and, and then how can they uh, be an advocate for their loved one to get the treatment that they need. So um, just in terms of like where can family members get information, they can always reach out to me and I'm happy to talk to them just in generalities about the program and what we offer. Of course, I can't um, discuss an individual patient with a family member without that person's permission. But just in terms of like, I think my um, you know, family member has a problem with opioid use disorder and is pregnant, what what kind of services could they get with you? That conversation I'm always happy to have just to spread the knowledge about, um, about what we have to offer. And then in terms of sort of your question was around like warning signs yeah, and things like yeah. that. Um, I, I think what I would say is these are things not only for family members to look out for, but for individuals who are pregnant to look for or not pregnant to look for in themselves. So we think about um, and this gets into the language choice, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about addiction versus dependence. So dependence is a biochemical thing. Addiction is a behavioral thing. So when we talk about addiction, um, you know, part of what we're talking about is, is there escalating use? Is it harder to get the same effect from the medication or the substance that's being used? Um, are people sacrificing other things in their lives, like their education or their family life or their employment situation because of their use? Are they spending increasing amounts of money or time on acquiring the substance? Um, is it disrupting their interpersonal relationships? So those are the kinds of ways that we ask our 
our um, patients to help us identify whether their use of an opioid, for in this case, has become in the realm of a substance use disorder, of an opioid use disorder. So those are things that patients know about themselves often as well, and they've identified them. We just have to ask the right questions to, to bring out that picture. Um, and then that helps us figure out what supports would be most helpful for them. I know for for some people, um, even because you talk, you get in the stigmas of of the, this this issue, and some of it even is like down to where am I going to have to go to do this? So wh- where is the? I, I obviously, as you get farther along in your treatment, and you can go back home, but where is this uh, program? I guess housed out of, or where does the treatment delivered out of? Can, yeah. <laughs> so so we are we are an outpatient based program. Mm-hmm. So we're physically located on the second floor of the outpatient um, treatment center. So downtown campus. Downtown yeah. campus, right? And um, uh, so when patients come in, they might be admitted briefly to the hospital to get on Suboxone to get on buprenorphine, um, and then they would be discharged usually within a, a couple of days. And then they would just see me in clinic. They would come in for their checkup. They're sitting out in the waiting room with all the kids for checkups and the ladies coming in for their, you know, annual pap smears and people there for their diabetes. It's a family medicine combo, internal medicine, pediatric practice. So they're just in the waiting room of lots of people who are there for their own reasons. And they would come in and I would do their prenatal checkup, listen to their baby and measure their tummy and talk about what's happening in the pregnancy at that point and lab studies that we might be getting and when's the next ultrasound and what are you going to do for pain management and in labor and just all the normal prenatal care aspects. Um, And then... um, uh, you know, in between visits, they would, um, you know, do their own med- medication management at home. So they're going to take a dose of Suboxone every day um, to manage their um, cravings and withdrawal, prevent them from w- being in withdrawal. And then the medication prescription is meant to last up to the next visit. So they come in and see me the next time and we we uh, get um, up to date on what's happening with the pregnancy, ask, um, you know, our normal questions, follow up on any concerns and provide another prescription. So it's really meant to be an outpatient, an outpatient based program. That being said, um, we definitely have patients that sometimes need more support than that. And in particular, when they've struggled for a long time with substance use disorder, or maybe have had multiple attempts to get into recovery before, or sometimes when they don't have a really safe place to go to um, coming out of the hospital after getting on the Suboxone. So um, there are residential treatment programs in town, and we have a collaborative relationship with them where patients can be in those supportive living environments, maybe for 30 days or maybe for um, a few months, and then still come in and get their checkups with us and get medication management with us. So um, we want to really focus on what works best for the patient. And the majority of patients are wanting to stay in their own living environment, and that's a, um, a good living environment for them. But sometimes it's not. And when it's not, we really do work hard to link them up with that. And sometimes patient co- patients come to us already linked with those programs. And then what they really need is the pregnancy management and the medication management. So we can provide whichever portion of the care that they need um, uh, and communicate with their program as long as they give us permission to do that. Is there anything that we have not touched on yet that we want to make sure that we talk about here? Is there anything that I've missed I mean, I guess I, I would like to um, sort of just frame things from the standpoint of I think there's a lot of um, pessimism around this topic. And if I could dispel anything, that's Please what do. I would do. 
because since um, you know, since I started doing this care, I have lots of uh, amazing and beautiful memories of families who have gotten into recovery and done a great job and come back for their um, next pregnancy and stayed stable in recovery or had a slip up and got back into recovery. And I think the most important thing to know is that this is a very, very treatable condition. Um, it is um, really um, a, a condition that responds really, really well to proper treatment and where people can uh, become healthy, they can take care of their other underlying medical problems, like a lot of times people have hepatitis C or they just haven't gotten much preventative health care and need to get up to date on those things. So we can absolutely do all those things. And we have lots and lots of um, of healthy, happy families who are um, who are enjoying parenting and enjoying getting back to their own education or their own employment and really thriving. And that's not the exception. And I think um, it's often portrayed that um, once a person has developed an addiction, that it's a lost cause. And that is so far from the truth. And it's very damaging for us to look at that way. And we would never talk about any other condition really that way in, in medicine. So um, it's really important to convey that sense of hope. And it's not a false sense of hope. It's really realistic. Um, and it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of hard work. And it takes some commitment. And it takes a, a team of people who understand where the patient's coming from and are um, able to hear about the setbacks. Because we know that um, slip-ups and setbacks happen. And we want patients to be comfortable telling us about those things because we can really then strategize and come up with solutions and figure out how to support um, patients that way. So that's the main thing I would say is that this is very treatable. It um, can result in, um, in improved um, life, uh, improved health, and, um, uh, and can support families in, in really being healthy together. And that's really what our goal is. And I'm really glad that you talked about this is treatable. It's, you know, it's going to be okay. We can take care of this because as you mentioned, you know, earlier when we were talking earlier in the conversation about how people are so hypercritical when it comes to pregnancy and I guess the rules you have to follow because you're pregnant and then, and I mean, even like classic movie lines, like you have a baby in a bar, you know, I mean, and, and the guilt that must go with, you know, of just, feeling like you're a failure and to know that you're not and it's it can be taken care of and we we can help you through this just make that first phone call which i understand is is scary um so so i guess we're talking about so one more time what what's that phone number because that's the hardest step that's that's the first step but it's in many cases it is the hardest step is making that first phone call so what is that again yeah so patients can call 317-880-5950 again it's 317 317- 880-5950 to reach our connections operator. And um, they will get a message to me or just schedule an appointment, whatever is pre preferable for the patient. Okay. And of course, you can do that if you're a current patient through my chart. And of course, EskenaziHealth.edu. We have all the information on everything Eskenazi Health uh, on there. And uh, so, yeah. So thank you very much for coming in and talking about this. I know it, it can be a heavy topic. And uh, thank, thank you very much. And I, if, if one person listening to this, you know, can't, makes that phone call, I, I would say our little podcast is a win <laughs> so but uh so yeah thank you very much thanks to rachel to joe to byron uh, of course you can check us out on um, apple Podcasts and soundcloud and all of our social media channels and we'll be back next time on the eskenazi healthier for you podcast